thank you all for that. And uh, again, thank you to Miss Bonnie and Brother Herman and so many others. Um, I wanted to say this before I even get started with anything on my notes. I wanted to vouch for Pastor John. He said he, uh, as a part of my uh, ordination service, had ordered a Bible and that it would be coming. Now, it came a while back, but uh, I, I, can, I think this is my first time preaching from it up here. So here is the very nice Bible. I'm, I'm very pleased. Uh, I will say, if you've never held a really soft leather Bible, give this one a touch later. Um, and also, it's uh, one column per page, which uh, if you've never seen a Bible like that, it's kind of fun. So it's, it's the same words, it's King James, all that, don't worry. But uh, just has a little bit of a different look, which I really enjoy. Uh, and I've already gotten to preach with it several times. But uh, he, he had ordered the Bible, not that he had to as far as I'm concerned, but uh, he did get that right to me. And I sure appreciate it. Thank you to all who uh, made that time of uh, my ordination so special recently. I did want to give a, a quick update just uh, about some things going on with my family, with, uh, with Jen. Thank you for so many who have been, uh, been praying for her and praying for us uh, with the passing of her brother. Um, just wanted to mention that that happened. We got the call just on, on Friday. It was around noon, maybe just a little after. And uh, it was a car accident. It was a vehicle accident. Um, a lot of you have been uh, gracious enough to, to offer to help and to ask what happened. So just wanted to let you know that. Um, so Jen and her mom um, hurried on down, caught a flight out of Charlotte uh, to uh, Florida. It's the Fort Myers um, uh, Punta Gorda, I believe, is the closer name of the town there, but uh, that area on the peninsula of Florida. And so Jen is actually about to be flying back, and uh, she'll spend a couple days up here, and then the service is Friday, and so we'll all be traveling down there. So I uh, appreciate those of you, uh, again, willing to, uh, to help, willing to pray for us, and uh, just for the, the family. Uh, Bobby was about the nicest guy you'd ever meet. Uh, he was part of our wedding, and uh, and all of that. The, the girls certainly know Uncle Bobby and all, so I appreciate your continued prayers there. Um, I will be speaking at, at some point in the service. I'm not completely sure if the, the whole time or not, um, and there is the possibility of a pretty good-sized crowd. Bobby was a well-known guy uh, in some different groups, um, so uh, please pray for me as well, I, that I'll even have the opportunity to, to share the gospel, see God bring some, some real good out of this tragedy. So I would definitely appreciate your prayers with that. Uh, as far as when will we be traveling down uh, this week but, and before Friday, but uh, I don't have any concrete plans on that. But I know many of you have been asking, been you know, seeing things on Facebook as uh, Jen and her family have put things there. We appreciate uh, your thoughts and prayers there. I often say, apparently I often say a couple things. I wasn't sure where Sam was going to go on that, so it was, a, it was a good thing I do often say that. But I also often say that when a person becomes a Christian, they will still go through difficult things, but they should never have to go through those things alone. And I can tell you that, that Jen and our whole family are not going through this alone. You guys have been there for us in so many ways, and we don't take it for granted. It's meant the world to Jen, and I'd have so many praying for us and helping and uh, so many things, and we certainly do appreciate that. Well, I'm excited to uh, dig into the Word tonight, and uh, title might seem a little weird. Probably most of my titles seem weird. I don't know, but it uh, probably takes me the rest of the message to explain my title sometimes. But uh, I'm looking at some things as to whether they're biblical, but not always Christian. And you might be saying, well, shouldn't those be the same thing? Yes, they should be, but they aren't always. Sometimes Christ followers, little Christ ones, Christians, don't follow Christ 
and the Word of God the way we always should. And there are some things that can easily creep into Christian culture and, and things that Christians can get downright okay with, comfortable with, good with, that we shouldn't. And that could preach for years, I'm sure, all the way through the Bible. We'll look at some parts of the Sermon on the Mount, not even all of that. But uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus isn't just saying just the bare bones, this is the letter of the law, but he's really saying the heart so much behind his principles and his commandments. And so often we want to look at the letter of the law and then rewrite it into something we're comfortable with and then decide whether we follow it or not. And in so many ways, Jesus is challenging us, hey, here's what it is to be biblically Christian. Here are some things, not to earn salvation, of course we could never do that, but these are some things that we should be working to measure up to. And if you've read the Sermon on the Mount, on the Mount recently, you realize we won't ever fully measure up. But let's keep working toward it. Let's not be satisfied with, I am a culturally acceptable Christian. Let's be a biblically acceptable Christian. Let's not settle for less there. Kind of a, a you know, convicting, challenging message, but I wanted to start it off in kind of a light way uh, with a, a bit of a silly game. I have done this downstairs before, and so we'll see how y'all do. Teens usually do fairly well, so the pressure's on all the adults, um, but I'm going to read uh, four or five quotes, and the question is, is it Bible or not? So now we'll get to living the Bible out, but is this a question from the Bible or is it from literature, by the way? If you miss one of these, it's okay. Some of those takes a little bit of thought. But let's see how you do. Ah, to me, this one is easy, but we'll see how you do. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. Bible or not? You can, you can answer. I thank you, Brother Rick. I, anybody, some of you are like, I'm not answering because I'm not sure. That's okay. That is Ecclesiastes 7.8. Now, that one was easy to me because I got to preach on that verse recently. But uh, that was Bible. How about this one? And though in all the lands love is now mingled with grief, it still grows, perhaps the greater. Bible or not? Not, not Bible. Do you, anybody tell me where it's from? No, that one's not Bible. That is from a, a Christian man named J.R.R. Tolkien in the Fellowship of the Rings, book two, apparently chapter six. I've read those, but wouldn't have known that. That one was not Bible. How about this one? We can stand affliction better than we can prosperity. For in prosperity, we forget God. Bible or not? That is not. That was Dwight L. Moody. Um, so good man, but not Bible. Let's do one more. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But ah, I got a lot of answers. Was that one easier? Maybe. Anyway, silly game. Don't worry. Once I get into the preaching downstairs, even if I start with that game, we go straight from the Word of God. Don't, don't worry about that. I don't preach from Tolkien or anything there. But uh, at the same time, we need to know what the Bible says and not looking again for, okay, what does that mean? Could, could it also mean this? Can I twist it to be? No, 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 no. Let's not measure up to what's acceptable by society or even fellow Christians, let's do our best to look at things that are biblical. And if they're not always Christian, let's live up to the biblical standard. Again, they should be. They should mark every Christian life. But we always need to check to make sure we keep ourselves lined up fully with Scripture, or inevitably we'll drift off course. When we run into the tough stuff of life, whether it's this, this family loss of Jen's brother, or again, something in your life, when we run up against the tough stuff of life, we need what the Bible really says. 
Whether you were four for four on whether the Bible said it or not, or whether you missed all four, that's not the point. But if we'll know the Bible, then we'll know the, the real stuff, the real hope, the real meaning, the real encouragement when we run up against the hardest stuff of life. And then when we're on the mountaintop and things are good, we really need to know what the Bible really says to be able to help us glorify God instead of starting to get puffed up with prize, with pride or looking just for ease and luxury need to keep on the right track even then. I enjoyed the one compliment I got. I've enjoyed several, but one compliment I got after I got to officiate Hunter and Jody's wedding yesterday. One gentleman who I don't know, but came up to me, and he had recently been to a secular wedding. All good, but uh, apparently no scripture in that one. And I, I, it was a Christian wedding. Hunter and Jody wouldn't have had it any other way, and I wouldn't have either. And a lot of scripture shared. I got to preach a very short sermon there, a little short charge to the couple. And he was just grateful for the Christian content, for the Bible. And whether we're looking at the basis for a marriage being on the Bible or the basis for you and your family or, or your career position or this or that, we need to base it on what the Bible says. We really need to know what it says, and to live it out. So I hope you'll look at this, even read through all of Matthew 5 through 7 at a later time. We'll just hit some, some highlights real quick, a few chunks of scripture in this. But uh, look at what those verses say, and even all of the Bible, and see, okay, am I holding myself to that standard? Am I looking at the real meaningful truth, or a watered-down version? Because watered-down versions just don't mean as much, they don't help as much. They might not feel as convicting sometimes, but are you with me on sometimes we need conviction? Amen. Absolutely, I certainly do, and that's what will help. Let's pray, and we'll look at, I believe it's five points from the Sermon on the Mount on things that should always be Christian because they really are biblical. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it has everything, all things that pertain to life and godliness. Your word is rich. I pray that we'll read it. I pray that when times are easy, we'll look to you. We'll stay humble, we'll praise you for the good you bring, and when times are difficult, we'll look to you, and we'll praise you, and we'll know what the Bible says about our hope and encouragement, and that we'll live for you every day. If there's any area of my life, maybe I'm measuring up, maybe we are measuring up to societal Christianity, but not to what the Bible says, that you'll show us, and that will change. Help us to be willing to have tender hearts and listen to this message from your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. First of all... The Beatitudes. Matthew 5, we'll start in verse 1, looking at, do we treat the Beatitudes as blessings? They are. It's right there. Did you ever read through there? I'm sure you have. I get that. Probably read it. Some of you probably could quote it and do better than I could. But at the same time, it says, blessed are. Blessed are. And then it names some tough stuff. Do we treat it as a blessing? Biblically, it's a blessing. So if we look at it as a curse or almost a punishment or a bad thing, maybe we're fitting in with a lot of other Christians, but we're not thinking biblically. We're not basing it on the Bible there. Matthew 5.1, and seeing the multitudes, he, obviously that's Jesus, went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed or blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. Again, blessed are ye for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. It's kind of a funny story. I was... Uh, working a week or two ago, a little while back on, on just casually on this message, and I was doing talk to text. Um, I Almost every message, any devotions I write, almost always start on my notes app on my iPhone. It's just where they live first. I can do it on my computer and on my phone. They sync, so that just works great for me. And it was just, I can talk faster than I can type. Um, some of you realize I grew up in Pennsylvania, and you probably think I still talk like it. Um, I get it. I, I do try to... Uh, because most people up there can't understand fellow Pennsylvanians either. We all talk too fast. I get it. We don't understand each other either. So if you ever have that trouble with me, I apologize. You're in good company. Nobody in Pennsylvania thought I talked at the right speed either. But uh, at the same time, um, I was talking and, and having my phone type out for me. And I said about the Sermon on the Mount, just as I was thinking that was where God was leading me. And it uh, typed it, autocorrected it to Sermon on the Amount. I got to thinking, oops, okay, backspace that, that's sacrilegious. And I thought, wow, that, that really would be. But I think that's how we treat this. Okay, I'll give an amount, God. I, no, I, I doubt that there's anybody that would come to a Sunday night church service that on Memorial Day weekend, nonetheless, that is not willing to give God some. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think that's any of you. I don't think that's ever me, thankfully. We'll always give God an amount. And you can go through that list again. We'll, we'll hit just a couple highlights going through those verses quickly again. But uh, are we giving God what he calls for biblically? Which doesn't always mean sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. It includes that. But, but a lot of it is, okay, this is how, this is where the rich blessings and the meaning are. And it's a sacrifice to miss out on that. But we'll, are, are we doing it the way the Bible says? Or the way as a Christian we've always done it? Or the way some other Christian has always done. Uh, Sammy, I, I believe, nailed it in that devotion. A lot of times we'll get advice from someone who's doing sinful things. Sometimes it won't be outright sin, though, but it'll be someone who gives an amount to God, but not everything. And that's who we want to ask for advice as well. And that can even be the counsel of, if not the ungodly, someone who's not as fully sold out for God as they should be. And, and I hope it'll never turn in the serm, into the sermon on the amount, where we look at the Bible and say, okay, I'll give you that, God. Ooh, that, whoo, that's going to cost something. That's going to cost a little too much. Again, I imagine we're all good with giving God some, but I hope, I hope the amount on the check of, that we figuratively hand to God will be unwritten on, you know, just a blank check, give him everything. Are we willing to be poor in spirit, to daily, every moment, recognize our need for God and his help? It's been a busy weekend, just uh, getting Jen and her mom heading to Florida, heading to the airport and all. Um, and a lot of the time, in the busy weekend, I've trusted God. I've realized I can't do it all on my own, and I've looked to him for help. But I'll admit, some of the time, I've tried to have it all together in my own strength to rely on my own ability, thinking I could do it all or thinking I had to do it all on my own. You can imagine which times have gone better this weekend for me. 
Are we willing to mourn over our spiritual need and even the spiritual needs of others? Are we willing to be meek, to have power, strength, talent, and ability under God's control? Are we willing to hunger and thirst, not for success or wealth or ease or popularity, but to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Are we willing to be a peacemaker, even when we're the one who was wronged, or when we think we're the one that was wronged, whether we're right or not? Are we willing to risk persecution? Now, you hear it said often, and I 100% agree, that it seems like it's coming pretty quickly here in America. Absolutely. And I think we can say, are we willing, are we, are we ready in, in, you know, in a month or a year or a decade or 25 years, whatever it is, are we willing to be persecuted? And I hope we'll answer yes, but we won't know that until it comes. Are we willing to do the things that could get us persecuted now? It's easy to think, okay, in that nebulous time in the future, if it's choose God or reject God, we would choose God no matter what. Are we doing that today? Are we taking a stand today? Even in your workplace. Now, I know I get off easy when I say that. I work here. It's real easy to take a stand for God here. I get in trouble if I don't. Um, you know, and I get that. But at the same time, sometimes one of the hardest places to act like a Christian is, I'll pick on Walmart. But, uh, you know, again, if you go to malls, if you go to, uh, ooh, Little League Baseball. Yeah. yeah. I love Little League Baseball, but, man, some of those parents, Yeah. The umpire is not always wrong. It's okay. Your kid's five. They'll, they'll get a hit next time. Anyway, but uh, are we willing to live biblically, even if it might not be popular? Are we willing to lead a life that might lead to persecution? Are we willing to risk being reviled and laughed at? Maybe we won't be reviled and laughed at for taking a stand for God. But if people are starting to laugh at Christians, will they look at our lives and see us blend in? Or, or would we have something to be laughed at? Are we even willing to live a life that would risk that? If we're going to live genuinely biblical lives, we need to treat these beatitudes as blessings, things to, to look up to, things to aspire to, instead of things to avoid at all costs. Secondly, the expression, not me, I'd never, that really needs to become, I realize I already am. Jesus cuts to the heart of the matter and we'll be skipping ahead to verse 21 in just a few moments. But the, the idea of never say never, that can be fun and silly. And I realize this is a serious message, so let me pick on my brother for a little bit. That's always fun, right? I mean, you know, you've got to, you were nice to your family this morning, though. I mean, I don't think he said anything bad. You didn't have any payback when you got up to preach. I mean, it was all good. But uh, now my brother's a great guy, but years ago, he commented that he would never work for Cumberland Valley Christian School or the Open Door Church, where we both grew up. He's now their youth pastor and has been faithfully for years, teaches in the school, and loves every minute of it. I mean, his kids go, I mean, you know, loves every minute of it. Don't get me wrong. But you can give someone a hard time if they never say never. But sometimes the idea of saying never, of not me, I'd never, can be the last words before a big spiritual mistake. Think of Peter. And we won't turn there. We won't go through all of that. But Peter's saying he never denied Jesus. And he did three times. Oh, if he would have just seen his need that he was leaning that way before he fell. So often, if we can see that, that would be great. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, you don't have to turn there. But it says, wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Uh, if you're leaning, stop. That's okay. If you're heading the wrong way, stop. Fix it. Take heed before we fall. Let's never... 
think that in our own strength, we won't. And we'll look at a few, specifics, a few specific things here, but again, it applies in so many ways. In Matthew 5, verse 21, it's talking about anger. And really, anger by itself is a big deal if not dealt with properly. And, and to kind of make my point, I'm talking about, and you'll see it in context, you might say, oh, I would never do some of those things Brother Rick mentioned uh, with the shootings and the horrible things. And I don't think anyone in here would. But at the same time, a little while before, a year, five years ago, they probably never thought they would. Yeah. Anger may not ever lead us to, to go shoot up an elementary school, and God forbid that it ever would. But I don't want to see what my anger will lead to if not dealt with by God's grace. And we'll think, not me, I would never do that. And we might not ever do that, but we're going to do something that's horrible if we don't deal with anger biblically and properly. Matthew 5, 21. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. And we can say, oh, yeah, I mean, I'm a Christian. I would never kill someone. I hope not. But the standard's a little higher biblically. But I say unto you, in verse 22, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, or Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. And again, we're just getting a quick look, not, not digging into every verse, little, you know, phrase by phrase tonight, just catching some simple principles as we go through. But if we're saying, not me, I would never kill someone, well, okay, that's great. That's maybe a Christian standard, a commonly accepted Christian standard, but the biblical standard is a little more. And I hope that's always the Christian standard we hold ourselves to as well, but let's make sure it is. Boy, let me just give a simple illustration of anger. In the spring of 19, excuse me, 1894, Baltimore Orioles. Any Orioles fans? Yeah, me neither. Anybody ever been to Camden, though? Uh, it's a pretty fun stadium to go to. It really is. But uh, the Baltimore Orioles came to Boston to play a routine baseball game. Been to Boston, not a fan of them either. But uh, what happened that day was anything but routine. The Orioles' John McGraw got into a fight with the Boston third baseman. Within minutes, all the players from both teams have joined in the brawl. The warfare quickly spread to the grandstands. You might think warfare is extreme, but listen more. Among the fans, the conflict went from bad to worse. Someone set fire to the stands, and the entire ballpark burned to the ground. Not only that, but the fire spread to 107 other Boston buildings as well. From a baseball fight. You might think, not me, I would never start a fire. I would never, you know, ruin my family out of anger. I would never do that. We don't know how far our anger will spread. No. I, I can come to the bad habit of tolerating normal anger. Yeah. I put it in quotes, it's not a real thing. There's no such thing as normal anger. Uh, no such thing as, oh, this is okay. But it's easy as Christians to start to accept anger for the wrong reasons and anger that leads to little wrong things that really aren't so little. Well, let's draw the standard where God does. Anger is a big deal if not properly dealt with. As we continue to look at not me, I'd never. A proper vertical relationship, so a relationship between us and God, requires proper horizontal relationships. So in other words, if we want to be right with God, we've got to be right with people as well. Matthew 5, 23 says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way, First, be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. We can think, as Christians, that I'm, I'm this great Christian because me and God are real close. That means I can be a jerk to whoever I want. No, no, it doesn't. 
Biblically speaking, if we want to be right with God, we need to do our part to be right with other people, as much as lieth within us to live peaceably with all men. We can't make people stop being jerks. I really wish we could. Someone needs to. Like, if y'all can figure that out, that'll be great. Uh, I mean, how many posts uh, just from what happened in Texas do we see? on? I'm just ready for everybody to be nice, to be kind, to not be hateful. Absolutely. We can't control out there, but we can control our response to it. Let's never, as Christians, think that, okay, my relationship with God, I think that's good, so whatever. No. Uh, we, we need our relationship with God, but that's going to lead us to make sure we're doing our part to be right with God and right with people. We also have to avoid, I just put this simple, but avoid a fire completely if we don't want to get burned. Matthew 5, 27, specifically talking about adultery and lust. It says, you have heard it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. And again, hopefully, as a Christian, you're like, yep, that one makes sense. There's a lot of unsaved people that are like, yep, that one, adultery is wrong, ruins families, messes things up. Of course that's wrong. I hope you're there. Verse 28, though, Jesus takes it to the heart of the matter. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already with her, with her already in his heart. Let's guard our hearts. Let's guard our minds. Let's guard our thoughts. Uh, kind of the idea of the fire comes from Proverbs 6.27, a verse that specifically in context is talking about adultery, but applies to so many areas. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? I love how just simple and practical the Bible can be. Uh, please don't go home and try this, but uh, you, get a, you get a big old fire, large candle, whatever. You hold it here for very long, you get a small candle, you're going to get burned. Your clothes are going to get burned up. I don't ever plan to be burnt badly by a fire again. Um, marshmallow to the thumb, flaming when I was a child. That one hurt. And I panicked and waved my hand around, which gave it more oxygen, which burned it more. Thankfully, my dad eventually grabbed my hand and shoved it to the ground and wiped it off. Anyway, I don't, I don't ever want to be burned by a fire again, and so I don't get as close as I can to a fire. Let's not think, okay, the, the Christian standard might be, you know, no adultery. We're not, of course, we're not going to commit adultery. No, let's guard our hearts. Let's guard our minds. Let's guard where those things start while realizing we could say, not me, I'd never, but if we have lust in our hearts, we already are there. We're already doing wrong. And you might think, I please God because I'm not committing adultery. We can please God with our hearts and minds on a daily basis. Nobody else sees it. There's nothing for us to get in trouble outwardly for. And we're pleasing God with our heart and our mind. If we're going to live genuinely biblical lives, we need to change from not me, I'd never, to I'll realize I already am or at least could be and respond accordingly to that. We also need to love the truth not just look for loopholes. This is a fairly simple point. But Matthew 5.33 says, Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, Nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Just to put it in a nice uh, dad of six and seven-year-old language, you don't have to pinky promise for it to count. If you say you're going to do it, do it. I was reminded of the title, uh, I believe it's Al Gore's book, An Inconvenient Truth. That sometimes applies more to our keeping our word than it does to climate change. It might be inconvenient sometimes 
to keep our word. But it needs to matter. We could say, oh, you know, and some Christians will. I didn't promise. Kids, it'll be like, I, I pinky promise, I solemnly swear, the blood promise almost, you know, make, ew, make each other bleed and, you know, share that or whatever. And then as long as you don't do those things, it doesn't matter. No, if you say you're going to do it, do it, even if it's inconvenient. If we keep our word, live for God, only until it costs us something, we've got a problem. Again, a simple point, but if we're going to live biblically, biblical, truly, truly biblical lives, we need to love the truth and not spend our time looking for loopholes. And by the way, you might be like, oh, I'm a, a man or a woman of my word. Are you looking for loopholes in any other areas? I have never seen an area of human creativity as thick and rich as finding loopholes. Yeah, I think you mentioned how long tax returns and things have to be this morning. Um, you ever sign a contract for anything? Great day, adopting children. I mean, many trees died in the name of our adopting our girls. Let alone we bought a house years ago. Whew, I know most of you have done that. A good time of day, and then to sell it later. I mean, so much. And I get the need for legal protection. I mean, I'm not really saying there's nothing of value in those contracts. I, mean, I get there's, there's some big deals there. But as Christians, let's be people that if we say we're going to do it, we're going to do it. People should look at us and say, wow, they're Christians. They said they're going to do that. I didn't think they would. Then I found out they were Christians, and I knew they would. That should mark our lives very much. Next, our rights are less important than people's needs, need for the gospel. Now, I'll just be honest. We're going to look at Matthew 5, starting in verse 38. I'm not talking about our rights, our freedoms as Americans. It's pretty important that we be able to gather here tonight. That one involves people hearing the gospel. I'm not talking about it in a political or patriotic sense. I'm really not. I'm talking about the rights that that jerk you work with. I'm not thinking of anybody, I promise. But that, that jerk you work with might be taking away your rights. Might be making things difficult for you. And you're like, oh, I've got a right to respond this way or that way. And they're being this to me, so that gives me the right. Might sound like I'm talking about third graders on the playground, but I've seen adults do far worse. I'm sure I have as well. No, no, no. Our, our rights, our toes getting stepped on, that's way less important than those people's need to hear the gospel. Matthew 5, 38, Jesus says, You have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. If we're going to be fighting for, no, 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 that's not right, and my rights all the time, we're going to lose our influence. Uh, it was our, our Faith Bible Institute teacher that said, in context, uh, back in those Roman days, the compel thee to go a mile was any Roman soldier could compel a, a citizen, a person to carry their stuff for a mile. And then at the mile marker, you could stop. He said, no, carry it too. Can you imagine? There might be Roman soldiers in heaven today because someone was not only willing to share the gospel with them walking that first mile, but willing to carry, going to go the extra mile, willing to carry their stuff for the extra mile. They had the right to stop, but influence probably came on that second mile. I don't have specific stories of that, but I look forward to meeting some Romans in heaven who only heard the gospel, only listened to the gospel because of someone going that extra mile. For you, you might be like, yeah, putting up with what I have to, I would rather carry Roman gear for an extra mile. I get it. 
It's often the price of influence. And sometimes people are the most unkind to Christians when they know they should become one, and they don't want to, and the Holy Spirit's working on them. And if we'll just, again, go the extra mile, sometimes that's bake the extra dessert and take it to whatever the case may be, we can gain that influence in so many ways. So often we're more concerned about our rights and our feelings, but if we're going to live genuinely biblical lives, the kind of lives Jesus was calling us to and is calling us to, we've got to be more concerned with people's eternal destiny than our supposed rights being infringed on. And lastly... If we're going to live biblically and not just what is common among Christians and sadly common in my life, we have to remember that worry is a sin, not a right. Matthew 6, skipping a good ways ahead there, but Matthew 6, verse 25. Matthew 6, verse 25 says, Therefore I say unto you, again, Jesus talking, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment or clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow not, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like, unto, like one of these." Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe ye, you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. We'll stop there for now. I've been saved, had the privilege to get saved as a child, and been saved for most of my life, but some of the Christians, fellow Christians, that have stood out to me the most, are the ones going through the worst, still having faith in their Heavenly Father. If He can provide food and clothing, in quotes, for flowers and birds, and take care of those daily needs. He can take care of the big needs we have. He's got it all under control. And if we'll keep that trust, man, maybe a lot of fellow Christians don't. But if we'll keep that trust when we're up against it, when that report comes back and it's not good, when the, when the phone rings, as it did for, for my family just the other day, and it's bad news, and we'll keep our faith in Jesus. You can still hurt. You should. You can still mourn. You should. Jan and her family shedding a lot of tears. Absolutely. But if we'll keep our faith in him and trust in him and not give in to worry, it'll stand out. It'll stand out to fellow Christians. It'll stand out to others. I found this to be an interesting illustration of, of this. Uh, a couple of doctors um, at the National Institute of Mental Health did a fascinating study asking subjects to perform a simple motor task, a finger tapping exercise. As the subjects tapped, the doctors conducted an MRI on their brain to identify which part of the brain was being activated. Okay, so that's the part of your brain that tells your finger to tap. Okay, great. They then told the, the people to go home, practice the finger tapping exercise daily, for four weeks, you know what happened? Nothing too crazy. That part of the brain developed quite a bit. Tap, 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 tap. Part of your brain that's involved in finger tapping. Tap, 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 taps. I wonder how developed the worry part of the brain is for you and for me. I wonder how developed the trust 
part of the brain. And I know those things are more spiritual than just in the brain, but the parts of the brain and even our spiritual hearts that are involved when we worry or, or when we trust God. I wonder which is more developed. Man, if finger tapping can develop the brain, that's already annoying me. Sorry if it's annoying you. I'm going to stop. But, uh, man, if that can develop part of our brain, can't we develop the habit by God's grace of every time we feel like worrying, yanking that back and saying, no, I'm going to trust. And by the way, to me, maybe not for you, but a little strategy, isn't it hard? Don't worry. So you sit there, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, no, don't worry. Oh, I'm worrying. Now I'm worrying about worrying. You ever do that? I've been there. Uh, don't, 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 don't is hard. And we can say trust. You know the best way in a moment, in a morning when I haven't even had coffee yet and, you know, stuff's going on and it's hard. Best way for me to yank my worry back to trust in God, remember what, how he's earned my trust in the past. I don't have to think very far. God's so good. He's done so much. And if you're like, okay, that works for a little bit for me, start writing it down. I often remind the teens of a political figure who works um, in the faith-based community in the uh, Republican Party. His name is Chad Connolly. Some of you may be familiar with him and his story, but I had the privilege of hearing him speak in person one time. He, he talks about how uh, his wife was battling some depression. He felt on this Sunday morning the best thing he could do was take his kids to church. His wife wasn't able to go. I don't think she could get out of bed at that point. And, but he felt he needed to take his kids in church, set a good example. His kids needed to be in church. They came home, and he discovered her dead. She had committed suicide. I mean, kind of the worst happened. A day or two later, maybe even after the funeral, I mean, the dust settles, so to speak. The grief hits hard. The house is now probably quiet, or the faint sound of the kids crying. I mean, whatever. He's up against it. And he's like, how do I keep, how do I put one foot in front of another? And God just, just told him, just challenged him. Write down everything you're thankful for. Write down everything I've done for you lately. I forget if it was 100 things or 200 that first time in that first writing session that he wrote down. But it was at least 100 different things. He looked at that and said, the grief is still there. It's no less. God, you've done that much for me. I can take another step because you've got more for me. Amen. And he's done a lot for the Lord uh, since then. He, he was a blessing to me and, and thousands and probably literally millions of others that he's been able to impact Let's be deliberate about developing trust instead of worry. If we're going to live genuinely biblical lives, we need to consistently treat worry as a sin to repent of and avoid, not a right to be engaged in anytime circumstances are less than ideal. It was on April 3rd, 1966, that an airplane crashed on, a, on an approach. It was an American airplane crashed on approach to Croatia. It was carrying the U.S. Secretary of Commerce, and 34 other people. One of them survived the crash. The rest died. The one that survived died, I believe, on the way to the hospital. They were attempting what's known as an instrument approach to the uh, Dubrovnik Airport. I think I got that right. So instruments only, can't see. I, I respect our pilots. They have tough jobs. But relying just on the instruments. Unfortunately, this specific type of instrument landing was one that those pilots were not familiar with. And it led to the crash. It led to them getting off by, I believe, seven degrees. You got 360 in a circle, just, just seven little degrees at the end part of the journey. They weren't off for long. And they really weren't that far off. But they didn't know how to use the instrument. I don't say that to little them. I've got nothing. I've got no clue. And I understand they normally didn't have to do this. I'm not putting them down at all. And I think there were even some technical difficulties. But we've got our instrument. We've, we've got our tool to show us the way. But we need to be in it. 
We might be doing well in a good time or a struggle, and we get toward the end of it and start to drift off. Might only be one or two degrees, one or two standards, one or two things, and it might lead to something worse than a plane crash in our lives, in the lives of those we have influence on. They needed to be able to see a little better. They needed, I guess, some more training. I, I don't know. That's what I've read. Let's be in the Word. Amen. To know when we start to go off course. I guarantee you, if the pilot, co-pilot, any of the passengers realized, hey, we're going off course, they'd have been running up there. They'd have been, been fixing it as fast as they could. Do we notice when we're off course? Do we notice when, okay, every Christian in our lives might be okay with what we're doing. We, we might have a good front, or they might think, hey, what you're doing is normal, it's okay, but the Bible says there's a higher standard. Do we notice? And do we fix it? I hope you will, and I hope I will. Let's end in prayer. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the worship and song and in your word tonight. Thank you that there is power in the blood. Thank you for your goodness. goodness. Thank you, that Jesus, that you love even me. We don't deserve your love. And we don't deserve your, light, your, your love and your guidance in our lives through your word. But I pray that we'll be in your word daily. Meditate on it moment by moment so we'll know if we go off course. The richest blessings in all of this life and the next are in living your way. Having you as our Savior so we're guaranteed of eternity and living for you now so we can experience everything you have for us. And I pray that we won't miss out on any of it. That's the tragedy. And I pray that even if life gets difficult, that we'll respond the way you want. And if we've gone off, maybe even on a, an accepted Christian way, but it's not biblical, that we'll change, that we'll course correct, we'll fix it. Thank you that if we've accepted you as Savior, we know we're on our way to heaven, but I pray that you'll help us to experience all of the richest blessings you have for us even now. We thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You are dismissed. Amen.